I count it a privilege every time I preach on a Sunday, but to have an opportunity to preach here at Restoration Church is really special. I was a pastor for 21 years at a church plant in Yardley, and the first time we had a meeting together, there was 19 of us. There were four families that were sold out to serve Christ and to reach the area. We were a sojourning church, however, and uh, for many years we met in fire halls, we met in the community centers, we met in a Catholic academy for as many as 10 years. It took over 18 years for us before we could afford our own facility. So for me to see what God has done in Levittown with Restoration Church in less than one year is astounding to me, really. I am so happy for you, and I'm happy for all that God has accomplished through you by His grace. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray, therefore, that God would send out workers into the harvest field. And that's you. Grace Point is praying for you, that the Lord will use you to penetrate and to reach out into your neighborhoods because the harvest is plentiful. God promised that. What's needed are people to do the work, the workers. And so that's what restoration is. It's a, it's a place where God is training his people and outfitting them to work in the fields and to bring in a harvest for God that he says is already plentiful. And you're doing that. You really are. The ministries that you've already begun are significant here, uh, touching lives, uh, spreading the, the word that this is a generous and loving church, a church that now stands as a testimony to Jesus Christ. And you are laying that foundation. And Grace Point is standing with you and the gospel to hope for a regional impact for Jesus Christ. And you can pray for us that God would begin to move in our hearts and yours too to consider launching more churches in the years ahead and that more people would become more fully committed as followers of Jesus Christ to his glory. Amen. Amen. That's great. Father and God, just thank you for Restoration Church. We pray for Ross, Emily, as they lead worship, as they bring the message several uh, times this morning. And we ask, Lord, you'll give them uh, endurance and you help their boys to be real good and their daughter too. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the, the wonderful couple and family that, that you have made in them. And we just pray, Lord, you'll just continue to bless their outreach and their leadership here for this wonderful church in Christ's name. Amen. How did we ever get to this place? You might ask yourself that question from time to time. You set out with such high hopes for your schooling, for your career, for your family, for those golden years. You have plans, you have aspirations and expectations. But you know, things don't always turn out the way you expected. Plans fall through. People disappoint you. You disappoint yourself. And, and you get let down. Suddenly your life isn't at all what you expected that it would be or what you dreamed that it would be. And you find yourself in a place that you never expected. I found myself one day talking to a counselor, trying to make sense of all the twists and turns that my life had taken, and asking questions. And when I reflected with him on the realities that I was facing at that time, he said, Jay, I know what you're dealing with right now. 
And when he said that, he got my attention because I didn't know what, I was, what was going on. He said, you're grieving. And I said, but no one died. He said, no one has to die for you to grieve. He explained that you can grieve over dreams that were never realized, over expectations that had never been fulfilled, plans derailed that will never get back on track again. And he was right. It was true. I was grieving over dreams that I had that would never be realized. And I think it happens to all of us at one time or another. It's quite likely that even this morning, some of you have lost hope and are grieving the loss of a dream that's been slain through the circumstances of your life. Fantine was a young woman in Victor Hugo's novel, Lamy's Mirab. She sings a powerful song in her musical version as she finds herself in a hopeless place. Summer lover had left her alone with a child. She finds herself in a factory. She has a place to place her daughter Cassette. She has to do, put him in, in, in her into the hands of a cruel and crooked innkeepers, her daughter Cassette. And when it's discovered that she had this child out of wedlock, she, she's thrown out of the factory and into the streets. She's forced to sell her hair and to sell her teeth and to sell her body in order to pay for Cassette's care. She's falsely accused of a crime. She's placed under arrest. And to top that all off, she's desperately ill. And out of that dark place, she sings this song. I dreamed a dream in days gone by. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And perhaps you're that at a, at not that desperate today, but silently from your own experience, you agree. Life has a way of killing dreams. If it's not true for you right now, perhaps it's true of somebody you know, maybe somebody you even love. So we begin this morning's lesson in a very dark place, don't we? It's a grave. It's outside the grave that there's a woman who's weeping. But the scripture that we are going to read does not leave us there. It takes us to a brighter place, a better place, a place of hope. I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, you can see it on the screen in front of you. John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over and lo- to look into the tomb. And saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. She cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers. Tell them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. 
Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told him, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Point number one. Life sometimes comes up short. It kills dreams. Circumstances can tear your heart out. What you once thought could be, would be, is now an impossibility. And in these few verses prior to this, we learn that Mary has already made one trip to the tomb already that morning, early. When she and the other women found that it was empty, they rushed back to the, to the place where the disciples were. They told the disciples, and two of them rushed back to the tomb, and Mary following well behind. When they got to the tomb, they saw it was empty. They turned, and they went back home. Mary, by that time, got there, and she stood there alone in front of that tomb, empty. And she did what anybody would do at a, at a grave. She cried. Who is Mary of Magdala? There are all kinds of legends that have risen about her. A tradition dating back to the 7th, 8th century identifies her as a prostitute in Luke chapter 7 who anointed Jesus with tears. But there's nothing in Scripture to support that. May be true, maybe not. The rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, portrays her as a sensuous woman torn between religious devotion and romantic attraction. And I don't know how to love him. Remember that? I sang that in high school so many times that you can tell how much I like it. So according to that popular novel, there was several years ago, The Da Vinci Code. There, Mary is shown to be the wife of Jesus, the mother of his child, and the leader of the church after Jesus died. Now, none of these portrayals have any biblical or historical evidence, but what we are told is that Mary Magdala was one of several women in the scriptures who followed Jesus in his sojourning ministry to support him. And we're also told in Mark chapter 8, verse 2, that Jesus delivered seven demons from her, we don't know what, possess, what demon possession looked like on part of Mary, but we do know from other biblical accounts when people were possessed by demons that they would cut themselves, that they would throw themselves into fire, that they would, uh, their behavior, their emotions would change, and such people were typically locked up and some were thrown back into the streets to fend for themselves. Whatever her past had been, Jesus, with one word, delivered her. He set her free from those dark forces, and they, she found that life had changed, a life that was now centered upon Jesus. But now suddenly, tragically, he's gone. And in verse 13, we read, why are you crying? The angelic figure asks. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, notice, notice she speaks of him as a person still. He's dead, but he's still a person. They've taken, they, she doesn't say they've taken his body away. She says they've taken my Lord away, his, her teacher, her savior, the one who had changed her life, the one who had given her hope. After years of torment, and um, she, she had begun to dream again. She had begun to dream good things for herself and for her people and for her future. But now life had killed that dream. What now? What would happen? What would she do? Where would she go? What did the future hold for her without Jesus? She may as well have said, they have taken my hope away, and I don't know where they put it. 
hope. What's hope? Hope is wishful thinking. Is it naive optimism? Hope it don't rain. Hope the economy bounces back. Hope those eagles win this afternoon. The dictionary tells us that hope is, quote, a desire with the expectation of fulfillment. So hope begins with something good, a desire. And then you add to that this element of expectation and confidence. Without expectation, it's just a wish, and wishes don't tend to come true. But when we hope for something, we expect it to come true. But hope is more than a word. Hope is to the spirit, someone said, what oxygen is to the body. Because without hope, we die. A team loses hope, game over. Investors lose lose hope, and the stock market tumbles. Viktor Frankl survived years in a Nazi concentration camp, and he noticed that prisoners died just after Christmas. They were hoping they'd be set free, but when they weren't, they gave up. He learned that as long as prisoners had something to look forward to, a reason to press on, that they could endure almost anything, but when they lost hope, Now, Bobby Knight has a different take on it. Bobby Knight is, of course, the legendary basketball coach of the Indiana Hoosiers. He led three teams to the NCAA tournament finals while boasting one of the highest graduation rates of any of his players. And he was also famous for throwing chairs and chewing out officials and players and fans and anyone in the vicinity. And he recently wrote a book entitled The Power of Negative Thinking, which is probably a good title for a book that he would write. And according to Bobby Knight, hope, he says, is the worst word in the English language. He says, it's foolish and lazy to tell yourself that things are going to be all right. He goes on to say, all right, they'll only be all right if someone steps up and does something. Hope needs a reason. Something or someone that can change the trajectory to a better place. Without a reason, hope is just wishful thinking. Mary had no reason to hope that morning. There was no wishful thinking there. No naive optimism on Mary's part. She expected nothing but an empty tomb, a dead corpse. I'm sorry, not empty tomb. She expected a dead corpse, badly in need of spices. She watched him die. She saw them lay him to rest. But as far as she was concerned, it was over. Resurrection was the farthest thing from her mind by a long shot. So she did what anyone would do at a fresh grave. She she wept. She had no reason to hope that morning until she sensed that someone was there, standing there. And so she turned to see, and that someone asked her then, a question. Life sometimes comes up short. But Jesus will meet you there and offer hope. Jesus will meet you there when life comes up short and offer you hope. 
He'll meet you there when life has killed your dreams, when despair has taken root and because life has taken unexpected twists and turns and ruined everything that you had your heart set on. Your heart was set on joining the armed forces until they found out that you had a heart murmur. You had your heart set on the wedding and all the, the, the hold the date had been circled on everyone's calendar. The, the announcement had gone out and, to, and then she finds that he's got somebody else and that's over. Or you finally make it to the two of you to 65. You're facing those golden years and you're expecting to travel and to do local ministry together and to be spending more time with the grandchildren. And then you found out that his forgetfulness is really the onset of frontal lobe dementia. Life oftentimes comes up short. But Jesus will meet you there and offers hope. Pick up reading at verse 14. At this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Why didn't she recognize him? Could be her tears, could be the dim morning light. Maybe it was the fact that he'd be the last person she'd ever expect to see alive because she knew he was dead. But likely it's the fact that his appearance had changed. We know that from the text. We know from other accounts his appearance was different. He didn't look quite the same. Somehow changed. And he asked her the question, woman, why are you crying? And that's the second time in the text you see those words, why are you crying? And I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the first words after the resurrection out of Jesus' mouth were in the form of a question. In the Gospels we see this repeatedly, that when he met people, he would ask them questions, He would listen, he would give them time to think, and this time was no different. Yeah, I wonder if there's a lesson there for us. How do we share hope? By hitting people over the head with it? Notice Jesus didn't say, Ta-da! Mary, it's Jesus, I'm here! He didn't do that. He also didn't... Rebuke her for lack of faith. He meets her where she's at. He asks her to tell him about it. And he listens as she explains. Even though she was entirely off base. She was wrong. Still, he patiently listened. You ever notice how grieving people like to say the same thing again and again to tell you about it? Mary does the same thing, and Jesus meets her there. You know, when you attempt to share hope with people, don't rush to the good news. People don't need happy talk. They certainly don't need religious cliches. You know them very well. Everything happens for a... Yeah. What doesn't kill you? Makes you str- See, don't, don't use those. You know them because they've been used on you. Don't you repeat the cycle. Grief is real. Loss is painful. Unemployment stinks. And relationships can break your heart. And we need to say so. And we need to feel it. 
And if someone in your world is hurting and if you want to share hope with them, the best thing that you can do is to meet them in the moment and ask them to tell you about it. And then sit still long enough to listen. And as for us husbands, too, many, too much of the time, we, we, we want to be a good engineer at home the way we are at work, and so we want to solve all of her problems when really what she needs is for someone to meet her in the moment. She needs you to say to her, tell me about it. And then shut up and listen to her talk while you listen. That's what Jesus does with Mary. But then when she's ready, he gently, he personally reveals himself to her. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I'm returning to my father, your father, to my God and to your God. Mary, he says. And there was something about the sound of the voice, something about the mention of the name that opened her eyes, opened her heart. It was him. He was different, but it was him. And suddenly, instantaneously, she had reason to hope. Can you imagine being there in Mary's shoes? Notice it was not enough for Mary to simply confront the evidence of the resurrection being an empty tomb and listening to angels. That wasn't enough to convince her. What she needed was something personal in that it was a real encounter with Jesus. And you know, friends, that's what we all need. And that's what the Lord offered to Mary there in the tomb. Suddenly he was real, more real than ever, more powerful, more glorious than than she had ever known him to be previously. And it's because of that she had hope. He was there and he was alive. He had proven that he was stronger than death. Stronger than any evil, stronger than any bad thing that can happen to Mary or happen to you or happen to me. Which leads to point number three. Conquering death. Jesus proves that he is stronger than any setback life offers you and me. And that's hope. She must have thrown her arms around him at that point or something, held onto his feet because Jesus says in the original language, stop clinging to me. And he's telling her the, that he's going to be with her. He's going to be with all of them, but not in the same way he was before. And that he's going to return to the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will be with them and in them, always, everywhere, forever. And he still has work for her to do. A message of hope to share together with others. More life-changing, more earth-shaking than she had ever imagined. Go and tell, he says. Tell my brothers, tell the world, death is defeated, I'm risen. And that's what she did. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples of the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. See, hope is not just for you. Hope is something we're to offer to others. Together we share in the hope of the body of Christ. There is hope in this place today. And if you came here hopeless, you come here to a hopeful place with other people who are of the same mind and heart of hope. And and it lifts you up. It lifts your spirits. We're called out. We're the called out ones. We're the overcomers. We share with anyone whose dreams have been dashed. We're to be witnesses and to testify that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Why? Because like Mary, our lives are changed. They're changed forever. We're not what we were. 
We're brand new because Jesus is alive. We're alive too. Do you believe it? You know what hope is? Hope is not a what or a when or a why. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. Bobby Knight was right. Things don't get better just because we want them to. They get better because somebody does something. Jesus, he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. And hope is always embodied in a person. You know, shareholders, they hope the new CEO can turn that company around. You know, citizens, they hope that the new leader can, can get the country back on track. And Eagles fans, they hope that the new head coach will lift the team out of the doldrums. And by golly, we might have found one, you know, this time. And uh, we have hope, at least we hope so, right? So hope is a person. Someone wise enough, strong enough, good enough to take us to a better place. And that person is Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the someone, the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. His sacrifice proves that he is stronger than any setback and any failure, any loss or any disappointment. Not to say that we always get what we want. That's not the case. Or that every bad thing can be magically turned around or undone. Life doesn't work that way, does it? But it does say that God can and will do something good with our future. Everything is redeemable with Christ. Every twist, every turn, every loss, God can use it down the road for His glory. It's likely not the way that you would have wanted it. It's not the way we would have planned it. But then again, He is the potter and you are the clay. Notice, Mary didn't get exactly what she wanted. Jesus wasn't going to be with her the way he had been with her. But he was going to be with her in ways that she had never dreamed possible. And there's always hope. There's still a lot that she didn't understand, and she didn't know exactly what the future held, but she knew that it would be good because now Jesus was alive. And that's hope. And that's what hope is. Hope is the confidence that God can and will do something good in this life and in the life to come. Whatever circumstance you and I may find ourselves in this morning, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever disappointment that we're dealing with or dwelling on, God can do something good with it and in it. And that's not to minimize the pain or the loss or even the evil. It simply means the story isn't over yet. God can and will meet you in that place, in that moment, as surely as he met Mary in her dark place. And he is strong enough and he is wise enough to do something good, something meaningful, something eternally significant. So remember this. Hope isn't wishful thinking. It's confident living. It's facing the future 
knowing that God can and will do something good in this life and in the life to come. And that's where we find hope. Let's pray together. Father, today we offer to you our pain. We offer up to you our grief and our loss and our disappointments because life didn't pan out the way we'd planned, the way we'd hoped, what we thought. And some of us here this morning, Father, are pretty desperate. So I pray, Lord, that you meet us today right where we are, in the moment, and free us from the burden that life has brought our way. We cling to Jesus, our only hope in this life and in the, hope to, and in the life to come. Bring us peace, bring us hope, and brighten our day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.